0: Just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving, and sometimes only just surviving, with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries, and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I am talking to Tori Joy Geiger. Tori was born with a congenital heart defect, more specifically Epstein's anomaly, and as you can imagine, her story doesn't just end there. In this episode, Tori talks us through her open heart surgeries, her first being when she was just four days old, the basketball game where she was whisked off in an ambulance, her tips and tricks to exercising with a CHD, what inspires her to share her story and the funny moments that she finds herself in when doctors discover she doesn't have part of her subclavian artery in her left arm. I really enjoyed getting to chat to Tori after the release of her first book, From Vulnerable to Victorious, and I hope you enjoy this episode as well. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Tori, thank you so much for being on That's So Chronic today. I'm really excited to... Learn more about your story and hear from you. So, thank you so much for being here. Yes, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. If people don't know, you are an author. Your book, From Vulnerable to Victorious, has just been released to rave reviews I saw on Amazon. Incredible stuff. And you are also a business owner, you are a speaker, you were a college athlete and you are a CHD advocate, which of course stands for congenital heart defect, which is how we connect it and what we're going to chat a little bit more about today. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm excited to share. (laughs) So you were born with a condition called Epstein's Anomaly. Epstein or Epstein? Epstein's. It's kind of like, I don't want to reference Jeffrey
1: Epstein, but it's it's <laughs> pronounced the same way. <laughs> um, but yes, that is my main condition that I have. I was born with two, actually. Okay. Epstein's Anomaly, and then I had a coarctation of my aorta. Mm-hmm. And basically, when I was four days old, that's what they operated on was the coarctation of my aorta. I see. So, Yeah. And the fan- those are the fancy scientific terms for basically Epstein's anomaly means the right side of my heart is enlarged. Mm-hmm. So like my valves of my heart don't close all the way. And so blood will leak back yeah. into the atrium of my heart. And then a coarctation basically just means that like the aortic arch is super narrow. So blood isn't able to flow freely through there. And so basically when I was little they operated to open that up over the course of so many surgeries. <laughs> yeah,
0: so you were a baby when all of this started for you. And I'm sure that your memories from that time aren't quite there, but I'm wondering what you've been told about what those first few days of your life were like.
1: My parents just say those days were just unbelievably hard. Yeah. I mean, my dad talks about handing me over to the doctors for that surgery. He said the first one, you know, was hard, but the I think it was the second or third surgery that was even harder because they had already had time with me Mm -hmm. as a baby. And then to hand me back over to the surgeon to have more odds of, we don't know if you're going to make it or not. And I know there was a lot of early conflict of like when I had my first surgery, they weren't sure if they'd go in through the middle, through my chest Mm -hmm. or through my side. And at the last minute, they actually decided to go through the side. So I don't have a typical scar like a lot of CHD patients do. They have a kind of like a zipper scar. Yeah. But I have one on my back. And so I remember that being super stressful. My parents saying that was super stressful just to have like a last minute decision that ended up actually being the proper way that they should have gone in. Otherwise, if they had gone in the other way, I probably wouldn't be alive is what wow. the doctor said.
0: So that was an intense time for my parents. Yeah. <laughs> And this first open heart surgery is when you were just four days old. Yeah, that was my first one. Wow. That's a lot for new parents to just
1: suddenly have to go through. Yeah. And I know a lot of CHD parents find out when their child is born. Yeah. My parents were fortunate that they knew before I was born that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. So they did have some preparation, but there's only so much you can really two to prepare and they just you know they were surrounded by a lot of loving friends and family and they had their faith and that was basically what was getting them through
0: yeah was there a sense from the doctors what your future was going to look like
1: definitely early on the doctors well number one when I was diagnosed they're like "Eh, we don't know if she'll make it you know to full term we don't know if she'll make it past three years old just because she has two complicated heart conditions. Yeah. And I think as I got older, even when I was in those younger years, they would say things like, Well, she probably won't be able to play sports. She probably might have some, you know, mental disadvantages in school. Like she might not be fully formed or different things. They just thought I would have a lot of, I don't want to say issues, but I would have a lot of struggles yeah. with life. And they always said, we want to give her as much a normal life as we can. And I think my parents were really like, no, we want to go you know, beyond that. Yeah. So I think doctors, I think they're awesome. I have so much respect. But at the same time, they have to give you the hard truth yeah. that could be. And I think that's a lot what we heard before, you know, as I was growing up.
0: So after the first surgery at four days old, were you then allowed to go home? Yes I did go home. Amazing. (laughs) Yes and then I
1: came back again at two months Mm -hmm. and again at seven months (laughs) for more surgeries.
0: And so the surgery that happened at two months that wasn't the same as the first surgery was it? Nope so the second surgery at two
1: months was an angioplasty Mm -hmm. so basically what they do is they take like a balloon to try to like blow up my aortic arch or not blow it up, like (laughs) enlarge it. It just like explodes. (laughs) Yeah, behind the explosion. So they were trying to like make it, they were widening it. Yeah. But then my, that wasn't successful. So the reason why I had three heart surgeries was because the first two weren't successful. Right. And finally, the third one was successful.
0: And that was when you were seven months old. Seven months old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) What was it like growing up with? A heart condition? Like, did you have to be mindful of anything as a child? There were lots of things. I think exercise was the biggest one that we were
1: really cognizant of. My parents were always very cautious with, you know, teachers, PE teachers, Mm -hmm. coaches. It basically, I had to watch if I couldn't breathe. Yeah. That's not good. (laughs) And I already had a lack of oxygen in comparison to other kids. So that was something we watched really intensely. My lips would turn blue, you know, when I yeah, screen, things like that. Like circulatory issues were really common. So it was just something we were really watching. Mm-hmm. Other things like caffeine, um, watching sugar, caffeine, even like things like hot tubs that you don't really think about, like heat. Yeah. We had to be really conscious of just the heat mm-hmm. that I was experiencing because that can have a lot of stress on your heart. So those were yeah. some of the main things I remember growing up. That I remember having conversations with my parents about and doctors about of what we're looking to avoid and make sure I'm staying healthy.
0: Did you find that people at school were understanding of what you were going through?
1: To be honest, I didn't because it's so invisible, yeah. most kids, unless I told them, wouldn't know I had a heart condition yeah. unless they'd see me, you know, pulling out of a drill. And I don't, kids didn't really make any comments mm-hmm. at all, but I don't think it was until I hit middle school and you could really tell I had a heart condition because I developed another condition in addition to my pre-existing heart condition that people actually realized that I had a very serious heart condition. I think as a youngster, it was a little bit easier to hide it, um, especially because you can't see scars unless I was yep. wearing a bathing suit. Yep. And so I think I was mostly perceived as normal until I was pulling out of drills or that kind of thing.
0: Talk us through what happened next with this next diagnosis that happened.
1: So in middle school, I developed supraventricular tachycardia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a long word, but basically it means that my heart, I'd be sitting down and my heart would go into like a rapid fire heart rate yeah, and it'd be like 200 beats per minute and you could like see it pulsating out of my chest it was pretty freaky yes and I remember the first time I ever had like an episode I was in middle school and I was like what is going on like I thought I was like having a heart attack or something was going on because I hadn't had anything like that but basically what happened was my heart had grown an extra node on the electrical pathway of my heart Mm -hmm. which was causing it like a redirect kind of right and it was causing it to not slow down Yeah. Which is insane. (laughs) Um, And so I did have surgery in middle school to fix that. Mm -hmm. Um, They do an ablation procedure where they go up through your legs and they either freeze. Wow. Yeah. It's nice. They don't have to open you up for it, which is the technology is going that way. So that's exciting. But they did that and they went up through my legs um, and they, I can't remember if they froze it or they burnt it off the first time, Mm -hmm. but they got rid of the node. But then it grew back. Right. Brilliant. Love that for us. (laughs) Yes, of course. It has to grow back. And so then my eighth grade year, when it had grown back, I was put back on more medication and things to kind of suppress it. And then it wasn't until my freshman year of high school, when I was at a basketball game, that um, my heart rate was so high, I had to be rushed to the ER and defibrillated three times in order to be stabilized. And actually the defibrillation didn't work. It was more drugs essentially they fed to me after the defibrillation that slowed my heart down so I wouldn't go into cardiac arrest.
0: So that was my most recent (laughs) experience with my heart. I was reading on your website about that story of being at the basketball game and it just sounds absolutely wild that you were going through this. So before that incident happened, they had prescribed medication to try and, yes. I guess, slow the heart rate down? Yeah, kind of. It's like it's a, called a beta blocker. Okay. And
1: basically, if your heart would start going into a rhythm, it would kind of slow it down. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure. It, it just basically suppressed it yeah. a little bit better than you could yourself.
0: <laughs> then the big incident happens at the basketball game. Yeah. The ambulance comes, you're rushed to hospital defibrillated three times which that blows my mind as well <laughs> <laughs> and then what happens next after that are they like okay obviously this medication is not helping right now yeah
1: I think it was accumulation of just a lot of things at that point in my life and from i had played a basketball game right before then and my heart I hadn't slowed down which is my yeah. my fault mm-hmm. um for not catching myself and pushing through it. And so they took me off of the medication. They're like, we need to do another surgery. And okay. basically their route was just surgeries. Yeah. And because I was so young, I think if I had been a little bit older, they might've just kept me on a stronger beta blocker, which I is see, what yeah. But they decided to operate after that. And I had another surgery, which was successful mm-hmm. um, and it didn't grow back. So that was the route. And then they kind of just waited and if something would happen and that was kind of the teetering point of can she still do athletics can she not (laughs) as when after that surgery they're like she can return to normal activity but if this happens again we might have to
0: reevaluate. Okay so after that most recent surgery what does the recovery process look like after that? Yeah so it's
1: actually an outpatient surgery now which is great Um, And so you'd go in, it's all day. I was pretty much at the hospital. And then after the recovery was, I think, a couple weeks. Okay. You're just kind of downtime. You're not allowed to exercise Mm -hmm. at all. It's very just low key. And that's about it. I remember after my surgery, I had to keep my legs flat for like... can't remember how many hours it was but that's the majority of your time in the hospital after the procedure is just like laying flat they're doing tests and that kind of thing so that was the basic recovery afterwards Mm -hmm.
0: as you were born with this heart condition and then the extra diagnosis that happened on top of that I'm curious as to whether you or your family knew anybody with a congenital heart defect or whether this was like brand new for your whole family
1: really the only experience my family had had was like previous family members that had like passed away yeah I think it was my dad's cousin's son Mm -hmm. I think had a congenital heart defect but he didn't make it okay um I don't think he made it past birth and so that was my parents experience or it was people that were older that had heart disease that was like their only experience so having a baby that was born with Something at the time they didn't even know genetically like how I got it. Yeah, and we found some things later in life in the last so many years that we do think there might be some genetics involved ah, okay. um, with my heart condition or at least one of the problems that I have. Yeah, so that's interesting to learn more about. Um, but for them, it was a totally new new ball game.
0: Have you connected with anybody as an adult?
1: Oh yes, totally. Amazing. I connect with people almost every day on social media or I connect with parents, I connect with people that have it. And it's just so interesting to hear everybody's perspectives and things they've gone through. And it's, it's funny when we're like, oh, your lips turn blue, me too. Yeah. And like, <laughs> things like that, Of just, I didn't really meet anybody, I think until I was in college, Yeah. that had it. And I actually had a, a, a guy that was in one of my management classes in college, he had a heart condition. And we were like, oh my gosh, the odds of having two of yeah. us in a so we were talking and we, we've become really good friends and it's been really cool to just follow his journey and then just talking with lots of individuals and learning, you know, what's helped them also be successful yeah. living life with a chronic illness.
0: What inspired you to be so open and share your story on social media, on your blog and also in your book? I think I've always just felt this special kind of pull in my life. I think
1: from that first surgery of them deciding, you know, not to go in one way, Mm -hmm. I feel like my life has just a lot of purpose. There's a reason I've overcome what I've overcome. Mm -hmm. And- for me, that's how I want to live my life is just using those experiences. And I think growing up, I was able to share, you know, my baby stories with people and people were like, oh my gosh, that gives me, you know, hope that inspires me. Yeah. And I kind of learned at an early age that there's so much deeper blessing in the adversity I've gone through. Yeah. So I think I just have a natural pull to want to do that. And that's just carried through with me as I've learned new skills in life Mm
0: -hmm. and I want to
1: use the skills I learned to make a bigger impact.
0: That is amazing. Thank you. It sounds as though you have like a lot of gratitude and you've found, I guess, the blessing in disguise what some people, what you've gone through some people, you know, it'd be very easy to go in the complete opposite direction. But I'm wondering if you've ever had a moment where you've just been like, Oh no. Like why is this happening to me like why did this have to be me that has to go through this
1: totally i mean um this is something i also mentioned in my book but there i think growing up there was always kind of an underlying fear that something was going to happen yeah and i never voiced it but i always felt like i went into appointments just ready for you know something to go wrong Mm -hmm. and i don't think i ever expressed that why me to my parents until Mm -hmm. i was in middle school or actually in high school yeah when it was after that that surgery, we were in the car and my dad was talking to my mom and they asked me some simple question and I just like snarkily and just like replied and they were just like, what is going on? Yeah. (laughs) Let it all out. Like, I was just like, why is this happening to me? Why is this my story? Like, this isn't fair. I hate this. Like, I was just letting it all out there. And maybe half of that was drugs and half of that was, you know, truly my emotions coming out. And so there definitely have been times, I think more in my teenage years, that I was just like, why can't I be normal? Yeah. Like what guy is going to want to date me? Like I am I a burden to them? Like for me, like kids is something that's on my mind a lot more now. Yeah. And the possibilities of me having kids are there, but me actually carrying my own kids might not be in the cards. Yeah. And so learning that as a teenager and – you know, dating in that time, and you're just kind of already insecure. And so, I think there were so many times where I had just breakdowns of just why is this my story? And so, yeah, I think that's normal. And yeah. I think that <laughs> you need to do that because if you bottle it up, it's gonna come out. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna come out one way or another. <laughs> exactly. It totally, and yep. And it's better to get out in a safe space. Yep,
0: exactly. <laughs> Speaking of having those feelings of like, what guy is ever going to want to date me? That's something that has come up in conversation quite a lot with some people that I've been connecting with recently. And I guess I would love to like share your story that you did find somebody who wanted to date you and you married
1: them. (laughs) Yes, I did. Um, My husband, Devin, I actually met him when we did track together in college. Um, We actually ended up being the same major too, but Basically, I think the thing that I really realized over the course of dating is just whoever you end up with values you and your illness or whatever you're going through as a part of you. Yeah. And I know Devin so often told me, he goes, well, you wouldn't be who you are mm-hmm. without what you've gone through without your heart condition. And so like, I love that part of you too, because that's you. Yeah. And so I think finding someone that truly has that mindset about your illness. So when you're dating, I think my biggest advice, cause I honestly get this question all the time. Yeah. <laughs> on social media, of like how do you like meet or like talk to people about this stuff? And I was like, you just have to kind of wear it, like kind of, you're very proud of it and you showcase it and how they react. And if they celebrate that about you, then they're a keeper. If they kind of act like, or shove it under the rug or kind of act like it's not there. And they're probably not a good person to continue your, your journey with.
0: Yeah. And there's definitely no shame in like having a chronic illness or something that's happening for you. Something that I was talking about recently with someone is like, you know, say for example, your chronic illness means that you can't eat out at restaurants or if you can't go on big hikes. Well, I can guarantee that there will be someone out there that will be like, I didn't want to eat at restaurants anyway. I love cooking, you know?
1: (laughs) Exactly. And just, like I think they want to be invested in your story yeah and I think that's the the catalyst that changed me is like it's not what I can do for others that gives me my value and I think I had that mindset you know in high school of like you know when you're dating a guy you know you have that mindset of you don't want to be a burden or different things like that and so I think once I kind of learned that that's how to date
0: I it worked so yeah (laughs) (laughs) so in college you were an athlete you played volleyball and you were a track athlete and recently you are a runner with a heart condition how does playing sport or exercising look like after all of the operations that you've been through is there anything that you do need to consider when you start exercising nowadays
1: yeah. My biggest thing I think when it comes to exercising is just my heart rate and my breathing Okay. are the main things I'm watching for. So when I go on runs, I'm very cognizant of if there's any weird off beats. Okay. Um, like my heart will skip a beat or, you know, it will start going into kind of a um, heart rhythm that's really high. Mm-hmm. So for me running long distance, I love running long distance now, used to hate it, yeah. <laughs> but when I do it on my own and it's for like my own mental health, I love it. And I just run really slow okay. and that's okay. And I have to, I kind of, I have a Garmin and I monitor my heart rate to kind of see and keep it in a certain zone okay. because if I get it above a certain zone, that's kind of when it gets risky territory or I start not feeling great. Yeah. So I'm very cognizant of that. I lift weights. I do lots of things like that. Um, But it's just really making sure I can fully recover before I start like a next rep. Because if I am breathless, my breathless is a little bit different than somebody else's breathlessness. And so I have to fully recover to make sure my heart is catching up to what I'm doing.
0: Does that come easy or does that take quite a lot of practice to like learn how it's all going?
1: It's taken a lot of practice and I'm still learning Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And my body changes too. I'm I'm learning new things. I think with running and starting new challenges like running long distance, I've had to figure out, okay, my heart feels funny when it gets up into this rhythm. So I gotta make sure I stay into here. Like that's a new thing yeah. that I developed in college. It was more if I couldn't catch my breath after like a really intense sprint drill, I would just pull out yeah. of the drill and cover recover as I could. And my coaches were so like gracious about it. They're like, "We're not going to try to harm your heart. (laughs) Like, we're going to find ways for you to exercise and get in the shape you need to be Mm -hmm. and train without harming yourself." Yeah, which I'm very blessed that I had that. I know not everybody has that experience.
0: Mentally, was it ever hard to be like, "Oh, well, I do have to sit out of this drill now." Like, was there any mental challenges that you had to get through?
1: Totally, I think that's been a huge battle of my athletic career is just feeling like, you know, you're watching all your teammates yeah. run lines, finishing the drill and you're just sitting off to the side and you kind of have to really work through those feelings of what is mental toughness. Yeah, And something I've really learned is mental toughness is not necessarily pain mm-hmm. and it's not pushing through all the time. It's yes. literally knowing your body so well that you know when to stop like that is mental resilience and so I if there's anything I can teach like young people athletes is just pain isn't always gain listen to your body like it's important
0: (laughs) it is so important speaking of things that you've learned throughout your journey what would be the biggest thing that you've learned from having a congenital heart defect
1: I think the biggest thing is own your story. Yeah. Like own it. That's the biggest thing. I think until I owned my story and embrace that this is the life that I have and I have an opportunity to either, you know, embrace it and make it a joyous life or have the opportunity to let it destroy me. <laughs> um, Like when I picked what direction I was going to go, that started with owning that. Yep. This is my story. And let's see what we can do with this. <laughs>
0: And I guess that leads so perfectly into the title of your book, From Vulnerable to Victorious. Yeah. Tell us more about the process of writing a book, for goodness sake. How amazing.
1: (laughs) I love writing. Um, I've always loved journaling. It's really therapeutic for me. And so I always knew I wanted to write a book, but I just didn't know when, how, how all those things. And so I finally took the plunge. I had written like parts of it throughout college, but then I finally hired a coach mm-hmm. that helped me get through the self-publishing process. And it was super fun. I'm still with their coaching program because they helped me kind of with all my author things because there's more books coming. Yay.
0: Oh, exciting.
1: So um, basically I just, I, I finished it. I wrote it, you know, pasted it out and I just, wrote what I knew and the lessons I learned and kind of, they helped me kind of piece it together. So it flowed really well. And then we published it and it's, it was so therapeutic writing it. Yeah. Just like, even just seeing my whole story in like book format of like, how, yeah. oh, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like, and just feeling so grateful Yeah, for the journey too. And there were times, I mean, I'll be honest, I had a lot of flashbacks to, like, those traumatic events, you know, getting defibrillated and being ambulanced. Um, during that time in my life, like, an ambulance would go by when I was in high school, and I would literally almost shake yeah. because of just the the trauma that I have experienced that night. So reliving that again as a 24-year-old, <laughs> and I went back into therapy pretty much throughout the rest of publishing my book because I was having such bad flashbacks yeah. and PTSD, and I think it allowed me also to have more grace on myself through the process. I learned a lot about myself. So I recommend anybody to self-publish, anybody to write a book. I think everyone has a book within them and everyone has a story. And so just put the pen to paper. (laughs)
0: And it's been received really well?
1: Yes, it's been received great. I think it's been a dream come true, just the responses of – young women of parents that have children with chronic Mm -hmm. illness, they're like, I I feel like I understand my child better because of this book. And then there's so many young women going through having a chronic illness that are like, yes, like, this is what I needed. Like, it was just a different perspective that really helped them understand themselves too. And so it's just been incredible to see all the impact it's it's making and i'm excited for more
0: <laughs> yes i'm really excited to read it maybe we will have another little episode a that's so episode <laughs> on from vulnerable to victorious i love it <laughs> You mentioned that you started going to therapy. What has your support network looked like living your life with a chronic illness?
1: Growing up, it was my mom, my dad, and my brother, my relatives. I had a really strong support system. We had our church. We had um, just a lot of people involved yep. from the beginning. And then I think as it's I've grown up, it's really turned into teammates and friends cool. too. I mean, I've had teammates that would go to the hospital with me if I had a funny rhythm yeah. like that happened in in college and to have those friends that would drive you and stay with you. Yeah, is huge. And so those were a majority of my support system. But I would also say when I hit high school, um, I started going to therapy. If I'm being honest, I wish I would have gone to therapy a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. They say when you're a baby, you won't remember things and but living with a chronic illness, there's trauma that yeah. you have. And I think my parents didn't really know that. We didn't. Like, it wasn't something we really had learned. And so I, I would recommend anybody going through a chronic illness, even at a young, young age, to start going to therapy early. Yeah. To process through. Because your life is different. It, it's a life-changing diagnosis. And I think you need help beyond your circle. Through things like EMDR was huge for me in my in therapy, and so long story short, that is kind of my um, my support network, and then um, going to therapy nowadays too.
0: Everything all together just really complements each other, and it helps. You know, yeah, and
1: honestly, so many therapy sessions have helped me just write, like. It has just been breakthroughs of like, oh, like this is what I'm thinking about. This is why Mm -hmm. this is like and I can and then I write it down and it's just like, oh, my gosh, and it's like a revelation. And that's been so helpful for me.
0: I guess the C word that nobody wants to talk about, but we are living in a global pandemic and having a heart condition and with COVID-19 just running wild across the globe and You are in the United States, which there has been quite a few COVID cases. I'm wondering whether COVID has changed the game at all for you, or if you were affected by this at all.
1: I think at first there was a lot of fear of like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? You know, you're, you're told a lot of different things. And I think as I've learned more and just kind of, you know, been living in it for a while, you know, I'm just taking the normal precautions and I'm not going to let the fear of you know getting it or the fear of any of that you know dictate how I live. Yeah, and so I continue to do my daily things with the cautions recommended, and that's kind of what I've done, and I that's my recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Moving forward, we're coming into twenty twenty two. Do you have anything that you have to do to monitor? regularly like do you have to see a specialist or are you still taking any sort of medications what does that look like for you
1: thankfully i'm not on any medications right now but i go in annually for a checkup Mm -hmm. to see my cardiologist they'll do the normal procedures and ekg i think this next year i'll get an mri Mm -hmm. of my heart and those are the normal things and then sometimes like this year i had some weird rhythm issues and so i'll get like a little holter monitor yeah and i'll do that at home and that's kind of what they do, but that's about it right now for just maintenance. I think sometimes when um, you know I'm hormonal or different things like that, I have like an oxygen, an oximeter. Yeah. I have like a blood pressure sleeve that I can also monitor things because for me, my battle will always be with blood pressure just because of the inefficiency of my heart. So those are just things that I do to just make sure I'm taking care of myself.
0: When I was having a look around on your website, there was a really interesting story that when you go in to get a blood draw or your blood taken, sometimes they can't understand how you're still alive. Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) Yes. So in that third surgery that I had as a baby that was successful, they took the subclavian artery out of my left arm. They either took I can't remember if they took all of it or they took just a part of it, but regardless, they took it and they opened a flap in my heart with it. And that worked. Wow. So, but now I'm missing (laughs) part of my subclavian artery in that arm. So, when I go into doctors and I forget to tell them that I don't have my subclavian artery, they're looking at me like, what is going on? yeah or my pulse or my blood pressure like I one time had a doctor it was a new doctor I'd never seen before and I was just chatting away like just not even thinking about it and he was looks at me he's like are you dead like like what is this and I just remember just being like oh yeah sorry I had heart surgery like you gotta go on the other side That's yeah like, and all the doctors just think it's like the coolest thing like when you explain it to them they're like whoa it's like you're like a medical school like diagram that they want to like, like see. So it's, it's fun.
0: You gotta have some fun with it. Exactly. That's what life's all about. Isn't it? Just finding the little joyous moments in what could be a disaster. I always like to joke, like I have a
1: big heart, literally like, you gotta gotta have fun with it.
0: (laughs) If you could go back in time and you could say something to Tori, who's just been at the basketball game, has ended up in hospital is having to have yet another heart surgery. If you could go back in time and say something to her, what would you say? I would say have grace
1: on yourself. That is, I'm an Enneagram three. I am an achiever. That's just like my personality. Yeah. And so I'm really hard on myself. And in that time period of my life, I was really hard on myself. Yeah. Not being able to keep up or all those different you know, feelings. And so I would say just have grace on yourself take a
0: deep breath it's gonna be okay (laughs) that is words that I think we can all live by take a deep breath it's gonna be okay (laughs) yes (laughs) amazing thank you so much for sharing so much of your story with us today I'm sure everybody listening will have gotten something a little gem of wisdom out of your chat so thank you so much yes thank you for having me Jess I appreciate it Thank you for listening to another episode of That So Chronic. Of course, all of the information, including how you can find Tori and her book, will be in the show notes. If you're new around here hi welcome there are new episodes every tuesday so make sure you've pressed follow on spotify and apple podcasts so you never miss an episode you can find me over on instagram and tiktok i'm at That so chronic i love hearing from you so don't be afraid to reach out thanks again for listening and sharing the episodes it really helps That so chronic get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly hope Also, there was a moment before where I said defibrillated, which is 100% not the correct pronunciation. And I'm not going to lie to you, it has been haunting me for weeks. So I just wanted to go on the record and say I know I'm an idiot. Thank you.